Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Do to say regarding church day camp also, this last week was a unique one for, for me in the sense that this was the first time that I was at a church day camp not just being the pastor, but also being a parent. Our three-and-a-half-year-old went for the first time. And there were these moments that I would have where I would see him interacting, having fun. And it was just such this life-giving feeling. Because I grew up in a church that I always felt was safe, a church that was a refuge, and a church that later on played a really central role in my own life, probably part of the reason why I became a pastor. So to be able to see my own child begin to experience something similar, having people at the church love him, care about him, and be able to see Stonebridge living that out, and then realizing that we're doing that for over 100 kids throughout the community also, it was a really special week and special with that perspective as a parent. So again, to all the volunteers, thank you so much for all you did to make that happen. Um, let's give the volunteers another round of applause for that too. This is one of those moments where it's like those old commercials where it's like, I'm not just the owner, I'm also a customer. <laughs> I'm not just the pastor, I'm also a dad. But now as a pastor, we're going to look at First Peter. So we're in this sermon series looking at First Peter um, entitled Rock On, where Peter gives this encouragement to the early Christians. He's helping Christians who are in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering. And he's helping them remember their identity. And in this section, he gives the, church, the churches, the, the Christians that he's writing to, he gives them some different pictures of the church. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I invite you to hear God's word. Peter writes, Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation." If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Lord, we come before your scriptures now. We come before your word. May this letter that Peter wrote those years ago Speak to us now. May your Holy Spirit speak to us through this scripture. As we reflect on these words that Peter wrote, Lord, help us to understand what it means to be the church. 
Help us to understand what Peter's vision for the churches that he's writing to is. And help us to follow you better. Lord, teach us through these scriptures. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in, this, in these 10 verses, Peter deals with some negative stuff and some positive stuff. I'm just going to deal with the negative stuff in terms of negative commandments. Don't do this. Don't do this. Get rid of these things. I'm going to deal with that quickly because Peter does too. But Peter says to these early Christians, get rid of all malice, guile, insincerity, envy, slander. I think his lesson there is fairly simple. If you want to follow Jesus, make sure your words match up with reality and don't use your words to tear other people down. It's fairly simple. The way Christians use words is important. So use your words carefully. Again, make sure your words match up with reality and don't use your words to tear others apart. And also don't make excuses for people who do that also and don't accept that within your community. It's really simple. But the thing with negative commandments is that on their own, they're actually not that helpful. Because if you're focusing on the things you're not supposed to be doing, you're just focusing on your own behavior. And that's where I think Peter then shifts. And in the rest of these verses, he's giving these pictures of what the church should be. And he's reminding the people he's writing to, not just of what the church is, but of who they are as members of the church. He's writing to them, reminding them of what their identity is. You see, the people that Peter is writing to, when we get to this more positive stuff here, the, the positive pictures that he's given to the church, you are this, you are that, this is who you are. The people he's writing to are experiencing persecution. They're struggling right now. And in the midst of that, it's easy to lose your identity. When you start feeling like the world is beating you down, it's easy to become reactive. It's easy to forget who you are and who Jesus calls you to be. The more and more persecuted you feel, the easier it is to lose your identity and to begin just defending yourself, protecting yourself, losing sight of the actual mission God gives us with this world. So Peter shifts from the don't do this stuff, get rid of all this malice, envy, slander, and he starts reminding them who they are why it's important they do that. But there's a problem with this section, at least for me. It may not be for you, but for me, there's a problem with this section with Peter. He uses a ton of mixed metaphors in this. And for me, maybe it's that I'm a grammar nerd or I enjoy writing. I can't stand mixed metaphors. Remember, a metaphor is a comparison between two things. So he also uses similes in here. I'm just using metaphor as a broad category. A metaphor doesn't use like or as. A simile does use like or as. But Peter is basically taking the church and his idea of the church, and he's using all these different pictures for what it's supposed to be. And the pictures themselves don't all line up consistently. That's a mixed metaphor. When you're comparing something to multiple things, and it all gets kind of muddled. So if as I was reading that passage, or you were reading it on the screen, you didn't find yourself getting a clear mental image of what it was Peter was talking about, or you're jumping from word to word or image to image. It's because he has a lot of different pictures in this passage. In fact, my whole thing with mixed metaphors, it, it runs really deep in me. In fact, one time I, I didn't really lose a friendship, but I kind of strained a friendship. I had a friend who was a singer-songwriter, 
Um, I'm not going to say his name, but he got a song that started getting popular. He asked me what I thought of it, and I said, I don't know, man. There's a lot of mixed metaphors in it. That wasn't what he was uh, wanting to hear. He never really asked me again about a song. But this runs very deep in me. I think it came from a quote I read from George Orwell, the famous writer. And he wrote, this is the significance of mixed metaphors. The sole aim of a metaphor is to call up a visual image. When these images clash, and then he gives this example of a mixed metaphor here, as in the fascist octopus has sung its swan song, the jackboot is thrown into the melting pot, it can be taken as certain that the writer is not seeing a mental image of the objects he is naming. In other words, he is not really thinking. That's the problem with a mixed metaphor. You have this thing that you're trying to describe, and the whole point of a metaphor is to make it more understandable. The thing you're trying to describe is hard to see. It's, you can't feel it. You can't touch it. So you use something that is more accessible. But when you use multiple pictures, it's not as accessible. So here in this passage, as Peter is explaining to the early Christians who they are, what their identity is, what the church is supposed to be, he uses a number of different pictures. We're going to go through them right now, actually. First off, he begins with infants, newborn infants, drinking of this milk that is supposed to nourish them. And in this picture, this is a consistent picture throughout the New Testament. I mean, Peter has actually used this. He talks about this new birth that they've experienced. The Gospel of John talks about a new birth. And Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, do so as one of these little children. In this picture, the church is compared to a, an infant who's vulnerable, who is needy, who is humble, who is not powerful at all. The dependence of the church is emphasized in this picture. The dependence on God, the dependence on Jesus. So that's the first one, and that's pretty consistent in Scripture. But then he jumps to this picture of living stones. Pretty abruptly, he jumps to this picture of living stones. And I'm just going to confess, he uses it first for Jesus, but then he says, for you all as living stones be built up into a house. I don't know exactly what a living stone is. Like, is this the trolls from Frozen? I don't know exactly what a, a living stone is here. But this is a picture that he uses. And think about the contrast now. Remember, we have this picture of, of, of infant, newborn, vulnerable, dependent. And all of a sudden, we have these living stones, strong, secure, who build a house. It's really different. And you jump pretty quickly from the one to the other. I did learn also this last week from Pastor Jonathan that this passage is where Stonebridge gets the first part of its name from. The Living Stones, Stonebridge, that was, this passage helped inspire that. And I have to say, neither of these two images are, are wrong for the church, but they are different. So in the midst of all the Living Stone language here, Peter jumps right to now a holy priesthood with sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. Again, this is now different than the other two pictures that he's painted for us for what these early churches are supposed to be. You have the infants, vulnerable, weak, dependent. You have the house built of living stones, a refuge, sturdy, strong. And then you have priests who are doing sacrifices. You don't really do sacrifices 
in your house. I just want to make that clear. If you understand how these sacrifices were done, there's a lot of blood. It's messy. You don't really want that on your living room floor. So he jumps to another picture there. As it goes along, he then reminds them that they're a chosen people. This is likening the church to Israel. That's the language used for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the people who are in a covenant relationship with God. So think about the distance that we've traveled in just a few verses here. The church is infants. The church is a house made of living stones. The church is a holy priesthood. And now the church is the entire nation of Israel also. He doesn't stop there. He then shifts to a royal priesthood. So we go back to the priesthood, but now it's not a holy set-apart priesthood. It's the royal priesthood, part of the court. There's regality added to the picture there. He then says, holy nation, kind of a combination of two other pictures he's used there. And then he closes with this picture of darkness and light, that they are people who were brought out of darkness into light. I think you can see these are all pretty different pictures he is using to describe what the church is. He's using different ideas to help them understand who it is they are. In the midst of this suffering, this persecution, he kind of throws all these different pictures into the pot. And I just did a mixed metaphor myself there. I apologize for that. He throws all these ingredients into the pot and stirs it. And we don't really know what he's cooking there. So initially, I wonder, is George Orwell right when it comes to Peter's writing in these mixed metaphors? Like, is this bad writing? I don't really think so. I think one thing George Orwell missed in his assessment of mixed metaphors is that there is a time that they can be helpful, particularly when you write something down. I think there's two ways in which a mixed metaphor can actually be helpful and, and why it happens and why it's not always a product of someone just not thinking. I think the first thing I would mention is sometimes there are things in the world that are so good, that are intended to be so good, that are intended to be so great even, that it's hard for us to capture them with just one picture or one image. And I think the church falls into that category. The church is this group of people that Jesus pulled together, bound simply by the profession that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, and bound by their hope in the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection to come. And the church is meant to be this force for good in the world. It doesn't always live up to that. No church lives up to that because it is still human beings. But the church doesn't rest on our actions and our ideas and our beliefs. It rests on the Holy Spirit who pulls the church together. And when you're talking about something that rests in the Holy Spirit, that is part of God's idea for how the work in the world is going to go, it's hard for us to capture that with our words, with the things that we see. And the words that we use are always going to only be able to grasp an aspect of it, one piece of it. So I think when Peter is writing this section, he's using multiple pictures to help them understand different aspects of what the church is supposed to be because no one picture is going to grasp it. At times, 
Churches are called to be vulnerable, to be humble. They're called to recognize their own independence. And in some ways, we're always called to recognize our own independence. At other times, the church is going to need to focus on being a strong refuge for those who are hurting, for those who need a home to be a house that people can find safety in and sanctuary in. At other times, we're meant to be a holy priesthood, all of us together working to create a point where people can connect with God, where people can experience God through us. That's what the priesthood was there for. That's what the sacrifices were there for, to help people live with God in their midst. You can see each of these pictures, you could go down, and there's a different aspect of the church that we're supposed to be. It's like this section isn't meant to be a magnifying glass, but it's meant to be a kaleidoscope giving us different angles to look at the church through. And each of these pictures is going to resonate with different people in different ways. You're going to resonate with a different one. In fact, as I was reading that passage, you might have had one picture that stood out to you that caused you to stop. And you didn't really hear a lot of the other ones that he was using or think of them. I think that tells you a little bit of what God is calling you to what it is you're drawn to. So that's one way I think mixed metaphors aren't always all bad. When you take it for what it is and you realize the thing being described is too great for just one picture. And then the other way, though, is that sometimes you're so excited about what it is you're describing that you're just grabbing at whatever you can think of to help somebody else understand it. And that that excitement is important and shouldn't be lost. Yes, it might not be as carefully thought through as somebody like George Orwell would want, but there's still a passion and excitement that is important that also teaches you about what it is that's being described. And I have to say, Peter, clearly with his life and his story, was excited about the church. There was a passion about the church. Peter was one of Jesus' earliest followers, one of the earliest witnesses to the resurrection. And once he realized Jesus had been raised from the dead and that death had been overcome, Peter gave the rest of his life to that message spreading through the church. He gave up his life, we know from Christian traditions afterwards, for the sake of the gospel. There was a passion there, an excitement. I think we've all come across somebody who's so excited about something that they're just grasping at whatever they can to describe it. I think that's a bit of what's going on here. Peter wants these Christians to be excited about who they are as the church, to be excited about their identity. He wants this message of hope, and resurrection to spread throughout this world. He wants the world to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's given them an array of pictures so that they can remember who they are so that they can do that. So at the end of the day, which is it? Which picture really captures the church? As I said, I think it's going to be different for each of us here. When I look at this passage, I'll say, oddly enough, the one that I connect with the most is the holy priesthood. I think probably because I'm a pastor, just lines up there. And I think churches at their core should be points of connection between people and God. But I don't know what it would be for you. But I would encourage you to look at these different pictures that Peter gives us. See which one resonates with you. And realize that there might be a part of your calling, of how you're supposed to follow Jesus in the midst of that, how you're supposed to be part of the church in the midst of that. And I think the best way to tell which one is helping you to actually follow Jesus, which metaphor for the church helps you to actually find your place in the midst of the church, is there in verse 9. It's a bit of a test, I think, here. 
In verse 9, Peter says that all of this, these pictures are there so that they can proclaim the excellence of God. In order that you may proclaim the excellence of him, the one who has brought them out of darkness into light. That's the goal of the church. At the end of the day, whatever gets us to the point where we are proclaiming the excellence of God to this world, where we are reminding the world that we have an excellent God, a God who loves them, a God who loves this world, a God who has redeemed this world, a God willing to suffer and sacrifice on behalf of this world, when we remind them of the excellence of God that they can receive healing in the midst of that love, that's when the church is fulfilling its purpose. That's when we as Christians are fulfilling our purpose. So which one helps you Proclaim the excellence of God. What is it about following Jesus that helps you proclaim the excellence of God? It doesn't have to be the same one for each and every one of us. The church is too big for that. God's work is too big for that. But which one helps you proclaim that excellence? Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the church. We thank you for your work through the church. We thank you that it rests on the Holy Spirit, not on us. And we thank you that we are here as a church to proclaim your excellence, to let other people know of your love, of your redemption, of your healing, of your grace, of your mercy. We were people at one point who didn't receive mercy, but now we have, Lord. Help us to share that mercy with others, to share your mercy with others. And Lord, Help us in our own minds to use the words of Scripture, to use the words that Peter uses to understand what the church is supposed to be, that we might find our place within it, that we might find what it is you call us to, that we can find our place in spreading this news of hope and resurrection, spreading the news of your excellence to this world.
bacii 